heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. We have finally made it, folks. It is Super Bowl week. Whew, it's been a long season. You know what? We got to this point, though. I said it before and I'll say it again. Kudos to the NFL for getting this far. But anyway, guys, this is episode number 61 of YWC Football Talk. I already teased it on Twitter that Joe Provost will be joining me, fellow, not fellow, but Michigan native, kind of close though, Ontario, Michigan, right next to each other. Um, but no, noted Michigan uh, Wolverine fan, noted Detroit Lion fan. We're going to be talking college ball, we're going to be talking NFL, maybe a little bit of prospects. We'll obviously dive into the Super Bowl. But before I start all that, there was a surprise that I teased. And what is that surprise, you ask? Um, this afternoon, I got an email from iHeartRadio notifying me that YWC Football Talk has been approved for iHeartRadio. So iHeartRadio is now one of the new homes of YWC Football Talk, just another streaming site where you can find the podcast on. Well, anyway, guys, when I come back, Joe will be with me. So sit back, relax, and get ready for a fun-filled podcast with Joe and I. All right, folks, welcome back to YWC Football Talk. Um, here with me today, I already hyped him before. He's back once again. The Michigan man, the card man himself, Joe Provost. Joe, welcome back to the program, my friend. Great to be back. Thanks for having me once again. No problem. Anytime, anytime. Um, there's a plethora of things we can talk about, but the first was first thing I got to talk about, man. There was a tweet that came out today from EA Sports saying that NCAA football is coming back to a video game format. Something I think that football fans have been clamoring for for a while. And I know you yourself, as such a big NCAA football fan, must be loving this right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like the first thing uh, that ran through my head when I saw that tweet um, from EA Sports was it just took me back to memories of like lining up at um, either like Walmart or Target or GameStop, and I that would all that was like an automatic like midnight release. Like I'd be there, I would buy a bunch of energy drinks and stay up until four in the morning, uh, rocking the Dynasty mode or just playing online. Just so much fun. Um, I can't wait for that to be back. Like I may have to buy a PlayStation Five because of it. Like I have a I have a PlayStation Four right now, but they said for next gen only. So I'm like, oh, if it's PS Five only, I'm gonna have to drop like another five hundred bucks on top of what the game costs. Exactly. Well, at least they shouldn't be like a thousand dollars by the time that game comes out. I didn't see yet if it's gonna be this fall or if it's gonna be a 2022 release. Well, regardless, it's just some, giving something for football fans to look forward to. Like, you know what? It's something that they've been wanting for a while. And it also shows, too, that, like, hey, the obviously there's that black cloud of the NCAA not paying players. But the fact, too, that they're doing stuff like this is really kind of putting that more into the spotlight, if you will. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I know when this whole thing kind of came about where they stopped the franchise of NCAA football, it, you know, it was about, you know, the whole like players being compensated for their likeness. Um, you know, it was pretty undeniable that they were using, I mean, for those who aren't familiar, um, like when you first got the game, it would just have like, uh, it would have the players numbers. They'd be in the correct position and they would even kind of make a little bit of an effort to kind of make it look like the players themselves, but the, but they weren't legally allowed to put the names and then that's when, like, roster share became a thing and people could, like, 
um, customized rosters and like they can hook you up within seconds with like the legit official rosters for each every, each and every team. Um, so yeah, I'm di- I just there's a couple quirks that I've read about where I'm hoping that they still make roster share a thing because I love having like the the legit names of the players. Yeah, exactly. Even to like you don't have to give the players a boatload of money, but just something for their likeliness. Like it's not. I brought this up on multiple podcasts already, but I just love the whole Tennessee scandal with giving players money in McDonald's bags just filled with cash. <laughs> like, I, I just find that funny. Like, I saw a TikTok, actually, of a guy from Florida saying, yeah, the guy was committed to here two days later. He's like, I'm going to Tennessee. Now he knows that he got a brown bag full of $100 bills. So Yeah, de- definitely. And, I mean, that's what they they give, you know, kind of the SEC. You know, if you've seen the memes before, the, the whenever it's like SEC in a meme, it's usually like the money logo because they're kind of known to do that. So, <laughs> I mean, Disney's Disney's paying a boatload to get that rights in 2024. My only thing with the game is, is if it's not Fowler and Herb Street calling the action, I'm gonna be. It's like it's a dud for me. Yeah, you know, I mean, with the anticipation of this game, you would think that they would just go all out and they want it to survive. Um, I know that they had even, you know. They had cited kind of declining sales as a reason also why why it went. A lot of people kind of called BS on that and said, you know, it's a whole, like, player likeness type thing. Um, but, yeah, I I don't see – I mean, if you're reviving a franchise, I think you got to come out with a bang and just do it up the best you can, make it realistic and authentic. Exactly. You know what? Give give the people what they want. It's as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I'm uh, – Whenever that day comes, you will catch me at midnight at whatever is the nearest uh, video game retailer. I will be there. <laughs> hopefully not socially distanced. And by that, I don't mean that we're not following the rules. I'm just saying hopefully by the time the game comes out, the pandemic's a thing of the past. That's all. Exactly. Yeah, one can hope. Yeah, one. I, that's all we can do at this point is hope. And like I said before, we were hoping six, eight, uh, like, yeah, six months ago that we'd get a full NFL season. And here we are. We're... In, uninterrupted like obviously college football had its hurdles and the nfl did too but the fact that both were able to crown champions yep it's just it says a lot like that's that's just something i wanted to bring up quickly um but before we get into everything else with this sunday i gotta ask you man how are we feeling in detroit right now we got a trade that happened we uh got a new head coach in there he's a pure football guy uh, what's the mood right mood like right now within the lions fan base yeah, I mean, the Lions have just been down for so long. I would say the people that are kind of, that buy into the rah-rah, you know, a coach, you know, if a coach ever won a presser, I guess, you know, I, I guess, you know, a lot of people were on board, and then a lot of people were kind of like, you know, that's all cool and everything, but at the end of the day, like, he needs to bring wins. I do, I do think um, people are buying in that this new regime is going full blown culture change, and we'll, we'll kind of dive into that a little, a little bit once we talk the uh, the big blockbuster trade that went down. But if we're just talking about uh, Coach Campbell right now, um, you know, I I was kind of surprised. I thought they would go some go with some experience, uh, but it's definitely kind of a culture move, and you know. They, I think coming off of Patricia, where it was kind of, you know, he tried to install the Patriot way. And, you know, I don't blame him for that. He's been a part of success. He just tried to implement that here. And sometimes that just doesn't always, it's just, you know, if it was that easy, a lot of Belichick assistants would still be employed. <laughs> exactly. Because a lot of them, too, go off and they try to be Bill. Meanwhile, you look at a guy like Brian Flores. Flores is making it work because he's being himself. And you could say the same with Vrabel to an extent. 
Obviously, I only say that because Vrabel was never a coach under Belichick, or at least I don't think so, where he went somewhere, he brought Belichick mannerisms, but he was still himself. He didn't completely become a dictator like what Patricia did. I think Patricia thought, you know what, I'm going to go in there, be this hard-ass win over the locker room, and that didn't work. Meanwhile, Dan Campbell, I'm getting the sense that you know what? He's giving me that guy where he's like, you know, your buddy, buddy, and everything. Like, like, I, I like at work. I have my, like my work. My manager's a great guy, but when it's time to buckle down and shit hits the fan, it's go time. Like they know, like it yeah. gets serious, and that's that's what the vibe I get from Dan Campbell. Yeah, definitely, and I think a lot of people are excited just for a change, just because I think people had just grown so tired of Patricia. And, you know, I, you know, I don't have any kind of hard feelings toward him. It didn't work out. I hope, you know, he, you know, obviously he's back in New England now. I hope he, uh, I hope he's kind of learned, um, you know, from this experience. And yeah, I mean, I don't have any ill will toward him. I know a lot of his former players, uh, unfortunately do, uh, especially the ones in Detroit. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. This is definitely, this is definitely all, you're going to hear me say it a lot tonight. It's, it's about changing the culture. Well, no, you're a hundred percent right. Like that's something Detroit needs. Cause like we saw how Barry, Sa- Barry Sanders was handled. Obviously it was before a year in my time. I think he was like probably five when I retired. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of the year. I'm pretty sure it was the late nineties though. Um, yeah, it would have been, Ooh. Yeah, definitely late 90s. Yeah, so I, was, sure. I was like five or six at that time. Like, I was in kindergarten when you retired. And then you obviously had Calvin Johnson, where the situations with them just grew ugly and they grew tired of it and then they left on bad terms. And even though there was a situation with them wanting Johnson to owe them money back. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. let's just jump right into the trade where, you know what, they did the right thing with Matt Stafford. Uh, he's in L.A. now. We'll get into golf in a little bit. But with the Stafford side of things, the one storyline people aren't noticing is, besides him going to the Rams, is uh, he's reunited with his uh, high school best friend, Clayton Kershaw. For those of you who don't know, Stafford and Kershaw are best friends. Or not best friends, but I'm pretty sure they went to high school together and they're the two, the two uh, husbands and wives are close. Um, the other thing I was going to say, too, with Stafford is it's going to be interesting to see um, how he fits in L.A., but at the same time, too, if McVay wanted him, you know what? I'm, I salute McVay for the trade and being so aggressive on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is one of those trades, you know, uh, you know, and I say this without when it comes to the Lions, there's zero bias. I, I, it's just been ingrained, like how bad they are in the poor decisions that they make. Like, I have almost as much fun trashing them as I do kind of like giving them props. Um, So with regards to this trade, you know, honestly, I did not think that they would get anywhere near the package that they got. Um, I was thrilled with the amount of draft picks, even though they are futures. And I think, you know, something that's kind of being overlooked a little bit, you know, we got a new regime and, you know, they're getting settled in, into their new roles. Um, there's a lot of inexperience uh, within that war room come draft time. So I think that it's not necessarily the worst thing that their future picks Um, I know a lot of people kind of said, well, you know, the Rams are going to be talented, no doubt about it. I expect them to, they'll definitely compete for their division, if not the entire NFC. And I think on paper right now, uh, they've got to be, you know, kind of NFC front runners going into uh, the 2021 uh, season. But um, yeah, I just, I don't think anybody really expected that return for Stafford. And uh, we're definitely pumped about uh, the picks that they got. Goff, 
you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, he, if, you know, if he does anything, I think most people kind of tend to agree that that's icing on the cake. I know the Lions, you know, Brass, of course, came out and said, you know, we're riding with him. Um, I wouldn't expect anything less. I mean, it's not like you're going to acquire, uh, you know, a quarterback and just say, well, you know, hey, we don't plan on He's not part of the long-term plans. You're not just going to come out and, like, bluntly say it like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's that, that we'll get into the Jared Goff thing in a minute because I have some yep. thoughts on that. But I feel like with, with Stafford now, obviously, I have them as NFC front runners. But at the same time, too, I'm not going in here like people were saying with Tampa last year, where it was, you know, we'll get it, we'll also get it down a little bit. But the whole Super Bowl or bust, yeah. Like with the with LA, people are going to be labeling them as that. Like I saw Dan Orlovsky. Oh, I know Dan Orlovsky obviously has a connection. He's friends with Stafford. He was a part of the Lions. Was saying that like they're NFC front runners, which I only think they are just because of how much quarterback uncertainty there is in that conference. Their division has some of the most exciting talent in it now with Stafford being added in LA because you have him, you have Russell Wilson, you have Kyler Murray, and we're going to see what happens with Sam Fran. I personally think Jimmy is on his way out. Um, But no, this is a trade that it's going to be exciting. It's good for Stafford too because you know what people can really see now, how talented he is because everyone thinks, oh, he's in Detroit, he was in Detroit, he was bad, da 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 But in reality, and I label them as this, he's one of the most underrated quarterbacks, not just of right now, but in the history of the NFL. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, I am going to be his biggest fan, Uh, you know, with L.A. I wish him nothing but success and he deserves every bit of it, um, especially everything that he endured uh, in in his time in Detroit. I know that. And again, this is kind of like the culture change a little bit. The Lions, uh, there was a rumor that they were offered the eighth overall from Carolina. And turn that down so that uh, Stafford could go to a more favorable situation. And now, you know, Detroit's not exactly a destination city for free agents. But I think what they're trying to do there is say, hey, you put in for the franchise. We're going to remember that and we're going to take care of you on the back end. And not, you know, kind of make some of the same mistakes like they did with Calvin Johnson, um, Barry Sanders. And even people kind of forget about... Uh, and Dominic Sue, I mean, they had opportunities to trade him. They really wanted to re-sign him. And eventually they didn't come to a deal, and he walked. And that's definitely not what you want. And I really think they're just trying to turn a new leaf, uh, sending him to L.A., their immediate contenders. I get why the Rams were aggressive. If you ask me, though, I, I thought they were a little bit too aggressive. Um, but, you know, sometimes you overpay for a quarterback, and I get that. Exactly, and the other thing I look at it too with LA was, um, part of me thinks that they just treat draft picks as a situation, you know, where you're like, oh hey, you gotta get this done, it's like, no, I'll worry about that later, and then later comes and you kind of have like that deer in the headlights look where if, because I'll say this now, if they don't win a Super Bowl within the next five years, or if they're not even win one, but they're knocking on the door, you know, NFC Championship games every other year or something like that, I'm gonna look at this as the, the Rams lost the trade, because sure they got the weapons, but my only concern with Stafford is is he doesn't have that playoff success. It's like obviously he's been in the playoffs before, but he's zero for three in the playoffs. Um, not like no, not like no offense, but the one thing I look at with the Rams is they're looking at this as hey, we can win now. He's going to be a fun quarterback. It's just my only thing is though, people are probably going to be putting too much pressure on him to where, like we saw with Tom this year. If he has a bad game, everyone's going to go, oh, was it really worth it? He's not that good, yada, yada, yada. So 
I'm proceeding this with caution. I'm not out here saying, oh, yeah, Stafford for MVP and all this stuff. But you know what? I'm taking him going to L.A. with, like, that sigh of caution. And also, too, the fact that there's so many new coaching changes. That's one thing that's really going unnoticed with the Rams is how many coaching staff members they lost this year. And most notably, Brandon Staley is now the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, another thing that, you know, I think, you know, Detroit fans see it as much as, I mean, this guy has been put through the ringer. And, I mean, he's had injury after injury. And he's definitely, like, a gamer. He's a tough guy. He's not, the last thing he wants to do is miss a game. And there's probably been a few games in the past couple of years where he should have just took a seat. Um, So, you know you're getting a leader. You know you're getting a locker room guy. um, A guy that's going to rally the troops. But, I my biggest concern with him going forward, you know, he's 32, but is he 32 going on 36 because of all that he's been through? Exactly. Like, you look at what happened with Drew Brees in the playoff game against New Orleans, or not against New Orleans, against Tampa Bay, excuse me, uh, with New Orleans, where, you know what, he looked good, but then he hit that wall. That's my, yep. my one concern with him. Because even, too, remember last year, 2019, he was – like what Russell Wilson was this year, like everyone had him as MVP by like week five or six, and then he got hurt, and then we didn't see him again. Like there was obviously, uh, you know, Chase Daniel was still on the Bears. Who was it? David Blau is the name I remember. That was the backup that played. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, it's just you know, you just that that is the main concern, and uh, I mean, his body has, like I said, it's been put through it. There's a lot of miles on it, uh, but at the end of the day, I wish him nothing but success. Unless he comes across Tom Brady, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's something you and I both can agree upon. Um, now with the Jared Goff uh, part of the trade, part of me thinks that the Rams gave up so much so they didn't have to eat any cap. But I kind of look at this as, you know what, Jared Goff has potential to succeed because there's no pressure on him to win. Like everyone says, obviously, oh, he's so bad, this or that. But if he can go to Detroit this year and manage, because like my ceiling for them is probably four, five wins, best case scenario. Like, no offense, I feel like this year's going to be a growing pains year, kind of like what we saw in Carolina. But we saw Carolina pull a few out, so if Jared Goff can do that and turn some heads, everyone's just going to say, hey, you know what, maybe he's just better when he's not under pressure. Yeah, the thing about Goff always, you know, if you look at his uh, game-to-game is consistency. I mean, he looked like an elite top-five quarterback against the Buccaneers earlier this year when they they beat the Bucs, who, of course, are in the Super Bowl. And, I mean, he out-dueled Tom Brady in that game. Granted, the Rams have a really good defense. I mean, but, hey, the Bucs do, too. Um, so yeah, with Goff, it's just been a matter of like inconsistency. You never know which Jared Goff you're going to get week in and week out. I don't expect him to perform better because he had the offense overall top to bottom was in my opinion is far superior in LA. Um, but you look at like, I was looking at a couple different metrics, like QBR passer rating and low key, like he and Stafford are pretty comparable. I don't know if you've checked it out at all. Uh, I haven't looked at his QBR from this year at all, but I know that a lot of people also say it too that McVay's offense was figured out after that Super Bowl against the Patriots because after that we saw in 2019 they kind of took a step back and then everyone started saying, like, did Belichick crack the code? Because every year, every few years, always these offenses have come along. Like, we saw it with San Francisco and then they got figured out. We're seeing it with Baltimore right now where, look, hey, you can slow Lamar down. And then we saw it with LA too where look, if you make Jared Goff panic and throw the ball away, chances are he's either going to have it incomplete or throw an interception. So if they can kind of get his quarterback mechanics under wraps, which I think they can, 
it'll help him. But also, one other thing I want to note with that is, I low-key love the hire of Anthony Lynn as OC. I think that's, you know, it's a good position for him to go to and kind of rebuild his stock to potentially become a head coach in the NFL. Because he's one of those guys where he had a good run with the Chargers. Obviously, there was just some stuff where it didn't go his way and he got fired. But he's one of those guys that I think eventually in a few years will be knocking on that. He'll be a part of that head coaching carousel again. I was going to say knocking on the door, but I changed up my uh, wording. Yeah, no, you kind of stole that point right right out of my mouth because, I mean, he's gotten a lot of credit for his handling of Herbert. And, you know, I know the people, the beat writers of uh, the Chargers and all that just said that he did an incredible job with him. And, you know, if he can kind of, you know, fine-tune Goff at all, hey, it's a win. But at the end of the day, I know a lot of people were kind of trashing, you know, the Lions having to take on Goff. But if you look at it, his contract's only, uh, the largest portion of his guaranteed money comes in the next two years, which the Lions would have been on the hook with Stafford anyways. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a wash to me. And if anything comes out of it, it hey, it's, it's gravy at that point. Like if Jared Goff's in that middle average, like, you know, that out of the best quarterbacks in the league, like that 12 to like 18 spot. I think it's a I think it's a win for the Lions. Like there's no, there like I don't think Darren Campbell's gonna be going and saying, "Hey, we need you to throw fifty touchdowns in like ten picks on the year." No, if he has a year where he's like say thirty ish something, and like even like if he can keep his interceptions under let's say sixteen, I'll call yeah. it a win for Detroit. Definitely, and I mean that's the thing. Like I mean, it, he has he has a super low floor, but he, there's a ton of potential there. And I'm not, you know, I'm not expecting him to come out and, you know, be a top five or top ten quarterback. But like you said, if he can be kind of in that 12 to 15 range, kind of a guy that uh, if you don't have a backup quarterback in fantasy, if you like the matchup, you kind of turn to him. And I know a lot of people said, you know, oh, he's going from L.A. to the NFC North. Well, if you look at it, obviously the Lions play their games indoors. The Vikings play their games indoors where the trouble is going to come is at Chicago, at Green Bay. Well, just hope, uh, count your lucky stars and hope to God those games occur before Thanksgiving, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the one funny point that I saw kind of get brought up, like, let's just, I, I do think Aaron Rodgers is coming back to Green Bay, but if Aaron Rodgers departed Green Bay, who's the best quarterback in the NFC North? Honestly, it's, if you look at everything right now, like, say if Mitch stays with Chicago, Cousins and Goff, like, it's honestly... Who's the most mediocre out of the bunch? Like, <laughs> I mean, exactly. I'm not a Kirk Cousins fan whatsoever. I think like his contract is literally insane. Um, I think that offense could perform much better. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we don't know what you would have in a potential Jordan Love and Trubisky. Just, I mean, I don't know. I think he needs a new change of scenery and a new coaching staff. But yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation. It is, and um, we can talk a little NFC North if we will, because the one thing I always say about the Minnesota Vikings, and I actually heard a noted Vikings fan, Mike Florio, say this, it's kind of like they took a redshirt year where, you know, what Cousins got his extension, I think Zimmer and Spielman were extended, and obviously they got Dalvin Cook's deal done, Thielen's under contract, so they're like, you know what, hey, if we have a bad year, who cares, like last three minutes of the divisional round, like, part of me thinks that, hey, you know what, the Vikings can bounce back, but at the same time, too, they have questions on the defense, and their offensive line is brutal like they're they do not have a good offensive line yeah i mean with the with the 
that's the that's the exact thing, right? I mean, you can have all the weapons in the world if you don't have a line that can protect and a defense that can get off the field. It doesn't matter, and I think that's a lot of what the Vikings went through this year. Um, fortunately for them, I think they have a bright future. They have a nucleus of weapons. They just kind of got to build the trenches now. Exactly, because like we saw it with the Houston Texans, and even too, I can ask you about where you think Deshaun Watson will end up in a bit, but. We always saw with him, hey, he had all these great weapons. This is obviously before the Hopkins trade. But the offensive line was always bad. He was like the fourth most sacked quarterback in 2019. And besides their front seven, their secondary couldn't get off the field. So offensive line and secondary are always those two positions, which in Minnesota have been struggling points throughout the years. And even though they do have Harrison Smith. But if Minnesota can fix those two positions up and you know what, maybe add another edge rusher, they have potential. They have a lot of potential. I'm not saying Super Bowl potential, but... You know what, they can make some noise because I honestly think that the Justin Jefferson Diggs deal, we're calling it that, is one of the rare win-win deals in the NFL. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, if the Rams, may, if they ever win the NFC, I'm not even saying they have to win the Super Bowl. If they get to a Super Bowl, you know, I think you could be looking at another rare win-win trade where the Lions, hey, they moved on, they turned a new leaf, they acquired some draft assets, and, you know, Stafford got to get to a Super Bowl. That that would make it a win-win, in my opinion, as well. Exactly. And um, the other thing you said, too, is you don't think Aaron Rodgers is leaving. I don't either. I took it as, and I I, bet, I think you've had this before, too, but you know when you're pissed off, you're an emotion, and then you say something, and then you, like, you kind of look back to yourself, and you're like, wait, why did I say that? Like, fuck, I, I sounded like such an idiot there. Like, I'm not saying Rodgers is going to do that, but I feel like him saying that was, you know what, we lost the game. I'm just, I don't know what's going on because NFL's the NFL is the one league. It takes a lot of flack for this, for the whole non-guaranteed contract thing. I personally love it, but in a league where, you know what, anything can happen, like, that's just the reality of the NFL. Rodgers says, hey, you know what, they drafted someone, they may want to move on from me, but the second he wins that MVP trophy, Gutekunst would be an idiot to get rid of him. Definitely, and I mean, that's, you know... But at the same time, and I, I agree, they should absolutely keep him at all, just about all costs. I, I just, I can understand the frustration because imagine, and that with how close that Bucks game was, imagine if they would have could have used uh, one of those, uh, used the pick that they used on Jordan Love on, and you know, a potential impact player or at least a player that saw the field. Yeah, in like that championship. Oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but yeah, like, if they went out, not even saying you had to go get Justin Jefferson or, like, uh, Henry Ruggs or a CeeDee Lamb, you could have gone out and gone in a late, later round pick, like, Brandon Ayuk, you could have gone Michael Pittman Jr. even, which I think very underrated rookie season from him, uh, Chase Claypool even, uh, yep. T. Higgins, you could have gotten someone like that, but then again, like, we live in a world where, you know what, you can't go back in time, you can't go back to April 2020, which I don't think anyone wants to go back to April 2020, um... And say, yeah, you know what, like, don't draft him, draft a receiver instead. Or in the second round, don't draft A.J. Dillon, go draft Chase Claypool. Like, it's just, it's that unfortunate game of what if that we always play in sports. Like, I I say it all the time with certain plays, no matter the game, or it's like, oh, hey, what if we kept this player or this happened? Like, it's just the unfortunate reality of everything. But if Green Bay can learn from their lessons, you know what, either go out and get someone in free agency to help him, or draft you're only going to make him want to stay more. And one other thing, too, is you know how there was that rumor that McVay called about Rodgers? Yep. Apparently, Green Bay denied that. And if Green Bay had said, yeah, they got calls about him, you're just giving Rodgers more power to not only go where he wants, but you may not get as big of a haul because people are going to learn that he's available and 
you're just going to have people knocking on your door to get them. Exactly. And I just, part of me, I just kind of think back and how this situation, how it's kind of unfolding, um, it, it, it reminds me so much and it's so ironic of when the Packers uh, drafted Aaron Rodgers and Favre was, um, you know, clearly upset thinking that, hey, you know, we still have a run here. Like, why are, like, I'm going to be here for a little while still. Like, why are we doing this right now? when we're legitimate contenders. <laughs> exactly. It's just the whole handling of everything. But because also, with the one thing with Green Bay as well was uh, they did not, they didn't fire him, but they're not renewing the contract. I think that's the polite way of saying firing Mike Pettin. And then the two guys who are actually in a conversation to get the job, one of them you know pretty well is Jim uh, Leonard of the Wisconsin defensive coordinator. Um, yep. I think that would be a pretty good hire because Wisconsin's a team this year. I don't, I didn't see too too much of them, obviously, because the Big Ten was really shot down, and then there was all that stuff too. I think Kevin Kevin Warren did a bad job of mishandling everything, especially with Ohio State. Um, but would you see that hire working for the Packers if they did go the college route for a coordinator? Yeah, and I say that because I just feel like the game translates so much more than it used to. You see quarterbacks um, that come in, and they're just so much more ready. And I think the same goes for uh, goes for coaches as well. I mean, you've seen guys come in um, from the college ranks and have success, whether it be a head coach or an assistant. So I think that's a good fit. And uh, I personally, as a Michigan fan, would not mind him leaving Wisconsin because he is good at his job. Exactly. And um, I just want to translate to the college real quickly, actually, because I haven't had you haven't been on in a bit. But since you were there, since since this happened uh, with the Jim Harbaugh extension, I want you just to answer this for me. Yep. I have a feeling this is a sink or swim kind of extension, where you know what, either you succeed and then you get you save the team further, or you sink and you know what, you're gone. I. Also, think too with just the recruiting process of it. That's why I think they were more pressured to keep them. Yeah, definitely. They had a lot of big fish, um, pretty much on the hook. And in order to get them in the boat per se, they needed to keep Harbaugh. Otherwise, all hell was going to break loose uh, with regards to their recruiting. Um, they've got some absolute should be studs coming in. A lot of five star guys, and one of them being a quarterback, which in college, uh, unfortunately, I mean. You've got to have a complete team, but a quarterback can make a world of difference. And that's kind of been the biggest disappointment so far in Harbaugh's tenure is that, you know, he was kind of billed as this QB whisperer and QB guru. And Michigan just kind of hasn't really had, like, a stud quarterback. I mean, they got a few transfers, Shea Patterson being the most notable. He was all right, but not not didn't live up to the hype. Um, I, I agree with you, and they've really, I think what the staff has realized is you can recruit in the top 10, and they're, they're usually, you know, about anywhere from 5 to 10 on a down year in recruiting. They're, you know, a little bit outside the top 10. Um, but what they've real there's a direct correlation to recruiting and success in college football. And they went full blown. There's a lot. There's a lot of in, inexperience on that coaching staff, but they are guys that are going to grind the recruiting trail. They're all like in their 30s. A new defensive coordinator that they hired um, from Baltimore. Uh, obviously, I'm sure John gave him a great reference. Uh, so that's going to be super interesting to see how that all unfolds. Um, but long story short, I do agree with you. I think it's kind of it's almost sink or swim time. But I think he kind of 
built in a little bit of a crutch by going with a younger staff kind of saying, Hey, these guys were inexperienced, but look at the recruits we're bringing in. We're not, we're building for like, you know, two years from now. Um, if they absolutely implode, I think things get real messy in Ann Arbor real quick though. Yeah, like I feel like there's no pressure to go win the Big Ten this year, especially because I'm I'm not too familiar. Like I know the teams and stuff, but like Ohio State's a question mark, obviously, just because they did lose like Fields and stuff. But I also think Chris Olave should have gone to the NFL, but that's just me. And I understand Rucker coming back because I feel like with this tight end class, it's very rich, and I feel like he would have gone maybe third or fourth round. I think he could potentially move up into the late first, early second round with him staying and potentially balling for Ohio State. Um. Is there any other teams in the Big Ten you see really, you know, kind of thriving this year? Yeah, Wisconsin's always solid. They're just always, always solid. Uh, that Graham Mertz, their quarterback, he came out and put on an absolute show in week one um, against Illinois, and he just looked every bit of the five-star uh, that he was billed up to be. Um, outside of that, you know, Northwestern, I, they're, they're a funny team because – they do the, the Northwestern football is at their best when they're not expected to be good. The second that they have any expectations is when they always uh, disappoint. I mean, so, what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was with this. Sorry to cut you off. Um, I was just gonna say that one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in college football, only second to probably Oregon. Yep, definitely. <laughs> and I mean, Pat Fitzgerald is a master motivator. Um, you know, he's obviously coaching his. Uh, at where he played, um, so they're you know they're always even in their down years they give a lot of teams uh, really tough games. So yeah, I don't you know Ohio State's just at that point where it doesn't matter who who comes who goes they just reload and they have a kid by the name of C.J. Stroud um, was a top dual threat quarterback in his class. Uh, so they're just kind of at that point where, you know, they haven't been able to get over the hump um, since Urban uh, won that national title um, with uh, good old Cardell Jones. But they, uh, you know, they're just until somebody knocks them off, you can't bet against them as far as the Big Ten goes. Um, just to rotate to another sport quickly, I feel like they're kind of like Saint, the St. Louis Cardinals, if you will, because obviously if you guys don't know, uh, Nolan Arenado is now a St. Louis Cardinal, one of the third best third basemen in the league. Um, I feel like it's like kind of like that with Ohio State, you know what, where St. Louis every year ha- just finds a way to get into the playoffs, and like also same thing too, they find a way to get into the college football playoff, they find um, just players to go in there and you know what, hey, we're going to plug you in and we're going to win. That's just yeah. one thing I wanted to say. That's just a comparison I felt like with the two. Yeah, that's a that's a real good comparison. Because I mean, the Cardinals have had a long, sustained run of success and have a couple of rings in that time too. That's that's an A one comparison. Shout out lazy booking. Um, <laughs> but no, that's just one thing I was going to ask quickly because the Big Ten's always a conference that interests me. Where and also I believe I heard Michael Wilbon say that Pat Fitzgerald has a ten year extension he signed this year with Northwestern too. So that's very interesting. Yeah, they definitely wanted to lock him up. He was getting interest from a lot of schools, and I know Northwestern has among definitely the hardest. Uh, it's probably the hardest school to get into, so they can, they're really limited in their recruiting. But you know, they're all really smart dudes who uh, are grinders on the football field, and it, you know, you mix that with a guy 
that has a good scheme and is a master motivator, yeah, you can go out and knock off some teams like they have. Exactly. Also, I feel like a lot of, uh, you, the more you look at it too, there's a lot of famous just writers and stuff and TV hosts who work at ESPN who went to Northwestern. So I know they have a great journalism program. Um, the only other rumor I heard with Fitzgerald, or not rumor, but a hot take that I have, I still feel like that if Matt Nagy ends up getting fired from the Bears, they're going to be knocking on his door. Yeah, that's another that's another transition that I could easily see happening. Um, I think it always makes sense. Yeah, I think it's hard to pry a guy away from his alma mater, but at the same time, is it? it's hard to say no to coaching at the highest level. Like, I mean, I think I always feel like if Saban retires eventually, I feel like the Crimson Tide are going to be knocking on Dabble's door to come and kind of say, like, hey, come here. You went to school here. You were a star receiver here back in the 80s, I believe. Yep. So it's I just, could definitely see that happening as well. It's just one of always those things, like, you know, where you just, like, you know what? It's nothing's, out, nothing's ruled out until it's ruled out. Um, but through all this talk, there is a. Uh, there's a football game on Sunday. I feel like it's a big game. It's being played in Tampa. Uh, the super, the super something. Yeah, the super uh, super ball. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's not the Orange Bowl. That's in Miami. The Outback Bowl was a month ago. Oh, right, the Super Bowl. Yeah, we have the Super Bowl on Sunday with Patrick Mahomes going up against Tom Brady and. A year ago at this time, we saw Brady in a red suit, because the Super Bowl was actually a year ago today, where they were doing the NFL 100 thing, and he was just said, I don't want to be here in a suit next year, and look, he'll probably be one when he enters the stadium, but he's going to be putting his pads on come Sunday, so for anyone still hating or denying on him, it's uh, it's time to stop. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, like... I. I used to see a lot more Brady hate come across my my timeline back in the day. I think he's really like silenced it. He is the undisputed goat um, of football and as it stands. We'll see, you know, what Mahomes, what kind of career Mahomes carves out. But as it stands right now, uh, Tom Brady is the measuring stick. He is, and I like everyone too already who's going like, "Oh, Mahomes is going to have a better career after Tom's done." The only thing I want to say about this game is that, remember Russell Wilson back in 2014? They were about to go back-to-back, but then, obviously, everyone knows by now, they ran, they threw it on the one-yard line. There was the infamous Malcolm Butler interception, and another dynasty was reborn. Meanwhile, with Seattle, they have failed to get back. Like I'm not saying Kansas City is going to be like that. I'm just saying, I think if Kansas City really wants to start getting that dynasty talk, you got to win Sunday. Because... If the Bucks, if the Bucks win, like it's no, I don't think anyone's gonna be saying, "Oh, dynasty," because I still. Part of me feels like Tom's gonna retire after next season, just because I think he wants to beat New England in New England. That that's just me, though. Yeah, you know, kind of as as the playoffs went along, and you could see this Bucks team really starting to gel, both offensively and especially defensively. You know, I thought, hey, if they somehow managed to run the table. I honestly thought, like, if you would have asked me a couple weeks ago, I would have said, okay, he rides out on top and, you know, calls it good. He's got, you know, seven rings. You know, nobody's ever done that. And what more do you have to prove? And, you know, now lately it comes out and he says, hey, I'm ready to play through 45. And it's like, wow. Like, he is, like, 
I, I don't think he's close to being done. Like, I don't think so either. Part of me just feels like next year when his contract's done, like, I don't know if he if Tampa's just going to want to... Obviously, they're going to want to keep him going and going and stuff, but it's going to be interesting because Tampa does have some key free agents they got to lock up this offseason. Um, but, no, I feel like, you know what, for as long as they're going to be willing to go, they're going to be... They're going to be willing to go. Like, part of me always said, too, because the way I looked at the exit was kind of like a ex-girlfriend thing where at first, like, you kind of not wish bad on them, but you're like, oh, like, really? Like, you just, you weren't ready to see it, but then eventually after the Green Bay game, I was like, you know what? He'll always be my quarterback. Like, I know he's not on the Patriots anymore, but he's he's the reason why I fell in love with this game. A seven-year-old kid, what, it happened to be the tuck rule game, but me watching that game just fell in love with the game of football and, like, he became my guy and the Patriots became my team. And for everyone asking, yes, I'm still a Pats fan. And as for Sunday, I am not supporting the Bucks. I'm supporting Tom. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, people people ask me, you know, where did my kind of Tom Brady fandom came, come from? Obviously, it came from Michigan. And then I kind of, the Lions have just always been awful my entire life. So I've always found myself rooting for a Michigan, Michigan alum within the NFL. And Tom was just kind of the ultimate, like, I remember that exact run, you know, the, the tuck rule and the, all the snow and Vinatieri's field goal and the hit uh, Woodson on Brady. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah, I've been a fan ever, ever since. I'm sure there's thousands of bandwagoners that claim that, but I, I can tell you it's 100% legit and authentic. I was never like a Patriot fan. I was a Tom fan, kind of just how you're describing. You're not a Bucks fan. You're a Tom fan. Yeah, exactly. Like people ask me, like, "Oh, are you gonna get your Bucks jersey?" I was just like, "No." If I buy any more merch that's Tom Brady related, I'm gonna go on his TB12 store and support him directly. Yeah, um, that's where a lot of my Christmas gifts came from. <laughs> I have the shirt that was. Um, I actually got. I got the book he did. Like it was like a cookbook and like a wellness book a few years ago for Christmas. And then I bought the Tom Brady. It's, a, it's It has his initials in it, and then it has a six. And on the back, yep. it has all the Roman numerals from all the Super Bowls. Um, but I just wanted to uh, change something quickly because here I see a got a tweet text that I see on my watch from a friend that said Schefter apparently went on a podcast and said that the value for Darnold is a late first round pick. Wow! So right away, that kind of screams like I, you know. I have no problem admitting, you know, as things evolve, situations evolve. But I remember back in the day, and I, it's kind of fun. I always used to think, like, why do these GMs like covet these picks? Like, like they're un- like a first rounder used to be like untouchable. Like you were not getting anybody's first rounder, much less sometimes even second rounder. So I think they're kind of adapting and kind of seeing. Like I don't want to compare it to the NBA because that's like two apples and oranges. But you see a lot of wheeling and dealing, and I think that's kind of coming to fruition in the NFL a little bit more, where teams are saying, hey, if we believe in it, we're going to go get it. And that's, you know, we saw that with the Rams. And if, hey, if somebody believes in Darnold, um, you know, it just feels like, hey, it's a change of scenery type deal. We'll coach him up. We'll fine tune some things. And he could potentially be our guy. I, you know, that's things things evolve over time it blows my mind that you just said that but hey it's a you know things change i i've said this before when it comes to like actually i remember i was talking to a friend of mine and actually he's a former guest on here andy mcnamara uh he's a browns fan and i remember talking to him right before the wild card game and he's like i don't know i feel kind of nervous and i just said any given sunday 
That's the way I look at the league now. You know what? Any week, anything can happen. That's why I love football. Because one week you can... I experienced it the past this year. One year, one week, you know, we beat LA 45-0. We go into that stadium five days later and we lose 23-3. So it's like, the factor of anything can happen, I love it and I hate it. Yeah, I the NFL, and I mean, you hear it a lot on... You know, when you're watching either the Combine or whether you're watching the network or watching the boys over at ESPN um, during the draft, it truly is a league of matchups. Like, you can't, you can't say, oh, like, Team X beat Team A, we beat Team X, so we should beat Team A. It's not like that. Like, it's totally all about matchups. Like, I think the Packers had a really good team. They just did not match up well with the Bucks. Oh, 100%. Um, and I mean, like, and also going back to my any given Sunday metaphor, I just mean that, like, look, any kind of trade can happen. Like, look, this Matt Stafford trade broke on a Saturday night in January. Like, you don't usually see trades like this breaking then. You see them breaking, you know, once in a while, you'll see them Super Bowl week and stuff. But a lot of the times, too, it's not until the combine when talk starts. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, you know, it, I'm trying to think. They were, somebody was just talking about how, Something about like trade. Was there? Remind me. Was there a big trade right before last year's Super Bowl? Um, trying to remember. The last big one I remember was I think 2018 when Smith got traded to Washington because that's kind of we knew Mahomes. I think that's the last big one when Smith went to Washington because like Kansas City knew Mahomes is our guy. Yeah, and I think you know if there's one thing that I've kind of you know like I'm a big like NBA like trade like I love the trade deadline of the NBA I think it's like super exciting um but if the NFL if they have any room to improve it's kind of like these juicy like trade block rumors um yeah, their free agency is always pretty crazy like people are pretty tuned in um but yeah as far as like the trading of like play and usually it's like a player for like a pick as long as they have the cap space to take on you know, the player that they're acquiring, but very rarely do you see, like, player for player in the NFL. Yeah, yeah it's super rare. Like, the only instance we kind of saw it, but it's not even comparable, and I, I will laugh at this trade until the day I die, is last year with the DeAndre Hopkins trade, where we had David Johnson going the other way. Uh, just, yep. like, that's the only time I can think of it, because you're right, it's a lot of player for pick. Like, the last, like, even to draft night, like, sometimes I see this a lot in the NHL where you'll see a player traded to a team for a draft pick, and we saw that with Josh Rosen, but that was more... Arizona getting rid of him because they know, look, he's not our guy. Kyler Murray's our guy. We don't want a competition in camp. Um, but I do agree with you because even even the uh, NFL trade deadline, there's only like a couple of trades that are made usually, and it's never like really anyone of impact. Like, yeah, it's I, usually like super marginal guys. Yeah, and a lot of times too, it's guys wanting out, like how we see with Watson. But a guy to watch out for who I think is on the trade block is JJ Watt. Yeah, that's going to be super interesting, and I think, you know, I think I'm a big believer, and this kind of comes from, like, admiring what the Patriots have done over time. They've they've never let guys just sit on the roster and decline in value. I think they've always, and I think that was a big part of their success as well, as soon as a player kind of was approaching their peak or at their peak, they were not shy to move them and acquire assets to keep the train rolling. Exactly. They always had that buy low, sell high. Like we saw it with Kyle Van Noy, where he wasn't at his best with uh, Detroit, um, but then he came to New England, became a vocal leader of the defense, and then went with him was free agency, so it's different. But they know too, even with free agency, when 
it's time to pay someone, they'd rather let that person walk because they know, hey, we can get a similar quality player on the cheap. Yep, exactly. So as far as the Texans go, I mean, it kind of sounds like they're about to re- approach a rebuild of their own. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I would I would be trying to get anything that I could for Watt at this point. And yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, going back to the Lions real quick too, I kind of think that they would it would behoove them to kind of explore uh, what kind of value that. Uh, Kenny Galladay has out there. He's 27 or 28, um, was banged up last year, but the year prior really kind of broke out and was like, okay, like we kind of see what um, Quinn saw in him as a draft pick early when everybody kind of said like, wow, like nobody had this guy in like their top four or five rounds on their board. So yeah, I would definitely explore that if I were Detroit as well, like moving Galladay and just kind of like full-fledged rebuild. Yeah, because I remember up until like a little while ago, actually, I learned to stay from a podcast I listened to a new one called uh, Two for One Drafts on Pro Football Focus, where I recommend you listen to it. Um, yeah. They were saying how every mock draft had Detroit taking a quarterback. I think now you guys are more primed to go receiver. Because I think, I believe Galladay and Jones are both free agents. You know what, you maybe pick some random receiver up on the cheap who's willing to go to Detroit, and then, you know what, you just have them because... Hawkinson's one of the best young tight ends in the league, and DeAndre Swift really showed promise last year. Yeah, and I mean, you know, if they if they go wide receiver and they move Galladay, I can understand that, and I also kind of get it if they decide to keep um, if they keep Gall or excuse me, yeah, if they keep Galladay and then go wide receiver, then you're kind of really kind of building towards something. Um, the, I think the worst position, though, that you can kind of be in is kind of being in between, like kind of in no man's land where you're not really like ready to contend, but at the same time, you're not like kind of a bottom dweller. Like those teams just kind of tend to stay in the middle for like forever. Yeah, like where New England is right now. <laughs> but in all honesty, everyone says to me that they're in a downward trajectory. I, and, I, and I want you to ask you what I feel like this. I still think they're in that same category as last year where, you know what, they may have another bad year. Like, either 7-9 and nine to 10-6, and six, though, is, like, my overall, like, prediction of, I think, of where they can finish. Because I think they're going to be aggressive in free agency, but that's, I can get into that another time. But that's just something I like to say to people. But even though I've been told, to, like, oh, like, I think New England's going to be worse. I'm like, I don't think there's any worse. Because the NFL, too, is another league where you can rebuild on the fly. Yeah, definitely, and we've seen teams, I mean, look at what the Bucks did. I mean, granted, not everybody's just going to go out and acquire Tom Brady, but I think that it can, it's, it's a little bit more unprecedented versus maybe some of the other um, major sports, but it's not impossible. Yeah, like, you rarely see it with the, uh, I was going to, yeah, with the NHL, you, like, see it maybe in a couple of teams. Baseball, you can't, unless you're the fucking Yankees. Um, and... What's the other sport? The NBA, like the NBA, sometimes, but not really. Like a lot of the times, when there's a team rebuilding, they're there for a while. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. Yeah, like I said, to get a little quarrel in with MLB because there's always those few teams who manage to stay afloat, and it bothers me because you, I've obviously on a team who's gone through the rebuilding process and win now, and Detroit's slowly behind them. Um, but back to the, well, let's just go back to the Super Bowl, because we obviously got off topic, but you know what, like I said, when breaking news hits, like, we gotta talk about it, and that's something big. Um, before we get back to the Super Bowl, though, I actually want to say with the Darnold thing, I think that rules Deshaun Watson going to the Jets out, because if Joe Douglas wants a late first-rounder, 
Casario's got Jack to give him. And I doubt he's going to trade futures. Because if Casario trades futures, it proves how dysfunctional that organization is. Yeah, they're not in a position to go get Watson. And I don't think that... I think the Texans, kind of similar to Detroit, are... At the end of the day, I think they'll take the best deal. But they're also going to consider, like, where they're moving him to. Exactly. Like, they're going to... I don't... Well, obviously, people were saying the Colts or the Jags, because the Jags have that number one overall pick. But I doubt they want to trade him in division. I think in conference... A team to watch out for was, I said earlier, was uh, San Francisco. But then also, too, I said Minnesota to a couple people, and they thought it was funny. But if they can get a first-rounder, a team who's willing to give up futures, I think it'll happen. But with Darnold, one team I want to say to watch out for, and this is now, is Indianapolis. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know there's a lot of people that are intrigued to see what Eason can bring to the table. Um, I know... I. I believe scouts are, excuse me, not scouts, but the Colts were a little bit underwhelmed with kind of how uh, raw he was when he got there. But again, like these rookies didn't get like a rookie mini camp. They didn't get a full-fledged training camp. So I think it's kind of unfair to just totally judge somebody based on um, not, especially this year, you know, COVID and everything. Uh, I think one team and people think I'm crazy for saying it. And I know he hasn't officially hung it up, and I'm talking about Big Ben. But if there was ever a chance for the Steelers to make a splash and go get, and Big Ben was you know pretty solid with the exception of the playoff game, but I think they have a real chance of landing a. They could they could go out and if they got Deshaun Watson, how how can you? How, how can you bet against the Steelers? You you can't. It's just the only question for me is is if they keep Juju. Because I think I think Connor's gone because I think they're going to try to draft a running back. But with uh, Juju, Juju's a tough one. Like that kind of says like they may have to talk to him. And say hey, are you willing to stay on a pay cut? Because I think if he wants the money, I think they can manage to keep him. But if it's term, they're they're in trouble. So and they can, I think he might be willing. You know, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I you know if you bring in a quarterback like a Deshaun Watson. That totally changes a lot of guys' like mindsets. A hundred percent, because that's a perfect example of uh, rebuilding on uh, rebuilding on the fly. Like that's a perfect example of it, where you know what, like even you can. I, I wouldn't say L.A. rebuilt on the fly, but they kind of retooled. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I mean. You know they. You know I don't think anybody's going to deny that Stafford is definitely an upgrade. Um, they've got solid pieces. They're going to, you know, if they kind of plug and play in the draft here, they'll be able to add some more. And, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of taking that next step um, and retooling. is I guess kind of how I look at it. Yeah, so like, there's just little things like that. We'll see where he goes. Uh, I just want to bring that up with Donald quickly because, look, like we say, when news hits, you got to talk about it because otherwise if I wait until the next show, it's like, oh, yeah, hey, we heard on Tuesday while I was recording that. This happened. The only late last instance of that happened was two Thursdays ago. I was recording. An hour after I hit stop, Robert Sala becomes the new coach of the New York Jets. And I was just like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> gotta love it, right? Yeah, got, gotta love when that happens. Um, but no, going back to the Super Bowl, though, because I obviously we got to talk about that. Um, I have a hot take for you that for as much as everyone's saying, oh, Brady or Mahomes is going to win MVP, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a defensive player. Yeah, I mean, I there somebody somebody 
with both of these offenses being how they are, somebody is going to have to step up and make a big play. And who's that, you know, who's that going to be? Uh, you know, is it going to be Honey Badger? Is it going to be somebody that's kind of been pretty solid out of nowhere in Sean Murphy bunting for the Bucks? I mean, I, I, I follow that mindset. I, that would not surprise me. I also think anytime you've got a guy like Tyreek Hill who can absolutely just blow a game open, uh, you know, I, I see that as well. Um, I got to say that, too, because the Tampa secondary, honestly, has massively improved in the last few games of the playoffs. I always thought that was the weak point of their team, but they they show that they can play. Uh, or even with the MVP, it could be someone like Chris Jones or Devin White. Like, when I think of Super Bowl defensive MVPs recently, like you had Malcolm Smith, obviously, that was just a strangling of the Seattle defense against Denver. And then you had something simple as, you know what, Vaughn Miller getting a strip sack on Cam Newton – Against uh, against uh, oh with Von Miller when Den- it was Denver Carolina excuse me one of the most boring Super Bowls ever um, that's another topic for another day um, but with this whole defensive thing like you know that if Clyde Edwards Alaire or even Le'Veon Bell try to run to the outside like Levante David and Devin White are going to be waiting right there uh, another take I have about those two is that's the best one two linebacking duo in the NFL yeah definitely and I think you know. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a better one. And what's crazy is they're both, like, relatively young. I think that when you look at across the league, I don't know, it's, for me, it's hard to, like, I know a lot of people, you know, in a 3-4 scheme, the lines get blurred between a linebacker and a defensive end. You know, I Devin Bush is kind of like a, like a kind of a poor man's Devin White before he got hurt. Um, and then, you know, if you want to tie in TJ, uh, TJ Watt, but I, I don't know, I view him as more of like a defensive end type versus his, you know, labeled position as an outside linebacker. But yeah, definitely. They're, uh, they are studs. And I think that defense, as we mentioned, is really starting to gel. Exactly. Cause I'm looking at the stats from like last year's Super Bowl with Mahomes and that was against a, uh, relatively good San Francisco defense, but Obviously, he had the great fourth quarter, but besides that, he was 26 for 42 for 286 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, but he only had a QBR of 78.1, and like, so, if there's like, everyone thinks that like, he's God, and that he's always going to control the pace, which if you let him do that, you're going to get burned very quickly, but numbers like that show he can be stopped. Yeah, another thing, too, to watch out for in this game is Tampa Bay has been able to run the ball pretty well. And, of course, that, you know, whenever the Patriots were able to, you know, get chunk plays at 4, 5, 6, you knew what was coming. Uh, Tom was going to hit them with that play action, and they were going to go, you know, either hit, a, like, an Amendola or a Welker or a... Edelman. Edelman over the middle or a Gronk uh, on a steam route. Um, so... And they, you've seen a lot of that. Fournette and then Rojo, they've been they've been carrying the rock on first and second down a lot. And that really, if they can get four or five yards of pop or more, that opens up that offense so much because you have to start loading the box and you've got weapons in Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronk, etc. Shout out Scotty Miller, too. Because um, yep. uh, like we even saw that, too, but obviously that was a miscue as well, and Kevin King getting burned in the NFC Championship game. That was a play where I'm like, okay, this game's over. Um, but if the this game, I think, is going to be won or lost based on whose defense plays better, like which defense doesn't allow the big plays, because you're right. Um, 
for the most part, you have, you know what, play, they call him Playoff Lenny, but like Leonard Fournette's been running the ball very well. And it's not like to, oh, Tampa Bay's been playing cupcake defenses. Like you can argue that with uh, Green Bay, but like the football team had a great defense this year. The Saints had a solid defense throughout the year. They just let Tom Brady get good field position and they let him game manage. You let him game manage, it's the same thing as Mahomes. You give Mahomes space to work with. It's just like the same thing goes going back to with Brady. You let Brady manage the game and stay in a clean pocket, you're not going to win against Tom. No, he's going to pick you apart. And, I mean, he does it with such precision. I mean, it's it sounds like so stupid and it sounds like I'm gushing over him, but he is he's just such, like, like he's a surgeon just, like, picking his way through the through a defense. It's, it's, like, incredible. And that's what I can't stress enough is that, like, Everybody says, oh, you know, anybody can throw five-yard, ten-yard passes. But, like, really? Because, I mean, if they could, everybody would do it. And, you know, he, and there's just so much more than that. You know, it's the checks at the line of scrimmage. It's audibles, you know. And he, up there with Peyton Manning, is the best at coordinating the offense while on the field. The other good thing, too, that he is great at, we saw it actually his last playoff game against Kansas City, his ability to convert on third down. A lot of quarterbacks kind of get scared in that moment. He also did it too in the NFC Championship game. Like the first like few drives of the first play like the first few plays of the game, he was converting on third down with ease. Yeah, definitely. And that wears on a defense cuz one, they're you know, the play the play count starts to rack up and two, it's just demoralizing to give up, you know, a third and eight, a third and 10, a third and 12. Yeah, we saw it in overtime two years ago against this very similar Kansas City defense. The only thing is to uh, Tom Brady revenge game where Steve Spagnuolo is the defensive coordinator for Kansas City. For those of you wondering why, because Spags was the D.C. for the New York Giants when they won the Super Bowl 12, uh, 13 years ago against the Patriots. Um, I'm also not expecting what happened last time where Tyree Kill goes cuckoo and like gets 200 yards receiving off of the hop and just murders fantasy lineups. I'm ex- I'm expecting honestly a very similar game to what we saw in the 2018 AFC Championship game where it's just a back and forth dogfight. Yeah, and I mean I think after what he's done this year, uh, speaking on Tyreek Hill, I think you kind of you know you lock him up the best of your ability and say, hey, if somebody else beats us, you tip the cap, but we are not letting this guy take us down. Exactly, Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles has to come out with a great game plan. Um, I also love everyone who says, oh, why isn't he getting any head coaching sniffs? I'm just like, he's still, I think, too freshly removed from that jet, that Jets job where he was, he had the great year, but then they just plummeted because he was 10-6, and six, and then it was just five wins, four wins, five wins, four wins, and then he got fired. So I think, you know what, if he stays in Tampa for a couple of more years, maybe someone will give probably him and Byron Leftwich interviews, but we'll we'll see what happens. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be very interesting Sunday, too, and like I said before, I'm just glad, you know what, the NFL's crowning a champ. Definitely. And, I mean, it's, you know, you look back, um, it wasn't that long ago when we didn't even know if we were going to have a season. But, so, yeah, I, I think sports fans everywhere, uh, it's a holiday in uh, definitely in America. And I know, you know tons in Canada tune in as well. And, yeah, it's uh, it's unlike anything else. What are, your, what are your plans for the Super Bowl? I will be watching with my family at my house. I usually have friends over, but you know what? That sort of thing's not allowed right now. 
There's a buddy from high school who I've watched every Super Bowl with since Denver, Seattle. That streak's coming to an end. But you know what? Making the most of it, I'll be with my family. I'll be with my... Because it's actually my dad's birthday on uh, next Tuesday, so a week from now. So we're kind of celebrating. Like They were hoping kind of like... My dad and sister are huge Saints fans, so they're kind of hoping like, you know what? The Saints are in there, celebrate his birthday and everything. But no, we'll... We'll all be together, just kind of chilling out, watching it, have some wings. Uh, it's a thing my mom, my grandmother started was makes she makes chili. She does it for the Grey Cup and the Super Bowl. For those of you wondering what the Grey Cup is, it's the CFL championship. So yeah. I'll probably have some wings, have some chili, have a few drinks, and I'll probably just be chilling out the whole day. Yeah, yeah, pretty similar situation here. Not you know, we usually have like a crew of uh, my closest friends, a lot of college buddies come over. Um, but yeah, this year it'll, uh, it's just going to be the Motor City Marks. <laughs> oh, that'd be a, that'd be, that would be a great Super Bowl party to have just you and Sean just chilling, watching there, you know, maybe break some cards a pregame for four break hours. Pregame, drink a couple, uh, brews, get some pizzas. Yeah, we're all about it. Oh, I love to hear that. I love to hear it. So now I feel like I know where you're going, but who do you have winning and do you have a score prediction? Uh, you might be surprised. So I am, yeah, I'm so torn, but I, I am actually going with the chiefs. I, I would love nothing more than the bucks to win for very obvious reasons. Um, I do think the chiefs pull it out and I'm thinking it's going to be like a, like a 37, 27 ish type game. You know what? I can see that. And another thing I wanted to ask you quickly too is, well, we'll just ask out the hop. Who's MVP? <sighs> Ugh, I, you know, I, I just feel like it's like so obvious to say Mahomes, so I'm not going to go in that direction. <sighs> I, you know who I'm going to go with, and this might surprise some people a little bit. I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey. You know what? I do not mind that at all. Um... I, I'm going to be honest and say this too. If I had to vote for like all the AP awards that are coming out Saturday, he's my offensive player of the year. I know how great of a season Derrick Henry has had, but when you're a tight end and you have as many receptions and you're like the leading receiver, like for a while, I think out of all like position players, he was the leading, just leading for receptions. It's stuff like that that makes me want to vote for you. And also to the fact that he carried a lot of my fantasy teams to solid third place wins. Yeah, exactly. No, I think yeah, if you were a fantasy owner of uh, Travis Kelsey, you were uh, you probably did pretty well just on that alone. But that being said, I mean that dude is a matchup nightmare, uh, and I know it's kind of tough to pick like a guy. Like obviously he has to have the rock thrown to him to succeed. So then a lot of times that turns into hey the quarterback ends up taking home the prize. But I don't know. I feel like. I feel like the Bucks are going to do what they can to get to Mahomes a little bit. I just think I just think Kelsey's going to come up with some big catches. Uh, I think he's probably good for two scores, and yeah, we'll see what happens. I can see that too. And the other thing I can say right now is I just hope that you like. I feel I feel like Kansas City's going to throw out the blitz, but I feel like the best way to beat Mahomes is you know what blitz once in a while, but then also too you got to run good man and you just got to have a good man in zone coverage against those receivers. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, whether it's bracket scheme or kind of, hey, you know, kind of a version of a QB spy, but, hey, your your assignment is Tyreek Hill and take him away as much as possible. 
But then, I mean, that's the thing about the NFL, right? I mean, especially in the Super Bowl, you you know, like each team has multiple multiple weapons. You got to choose what you're going to take away and what you're going to give up. Exactly. Well, anyway, Joe, I think that wraps it up about us here for another episode of YWC Football Talk. But for those of you who are listening for the first time, or you know what may not know who exactly Joe Provost is, where can the good people find you on social media? Yeah. So. Um... So Instagram, at JoeProvost3. I do have a card account. If you're interested in checking out some Tom Brady's, it's at JP3Cards. Uh, Twitter, at JoeProvost3. And check us out on YouTube, Motor City Marks. You guys know where to find them. Well, Joe, it was a blast getting to talk to you. A little college football, NCAA football, and you know what? NFL as a whole, and the Super Bowl this coming Sunday. And also, folks, like I said before in the intro, you can now find this podcast also on iHeartRadio. So for Joe and I, thank you very much for listening, guys. And we will see you, I'll see you back here because I have one more episode to record before the big game this coming Sunday. Have a good night, everyone. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. We all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.